breaking from our study on the Psalms tonight, I want to share a few truths that the Lord has brought to my mind in my personal reading through the book of Judges, particularly in my reflection on Samson's life. And if you are familiar with the book of Judges and the biblical biography of Samson's life, I think you will agree that at times it's very challenging to reconcile why God chose to appoint Samson as a judge over Israel, why God continued to work in the life of Samson, when Samson made so many foolish decisions in his life. Yesterday, as I was confronted with the testimony of Samson's life, trying to make sense of things that transpired in the written testimony of Scripture, the Lord, by His still small voice, reminded me of several encouraging truths that helped me answer the enigma of Samson's life. So tonight, I want to share those truths with you, hoping that it will First, be a guiding principle as you read and interpret the truths of God's Word. And then second, I'm hoping that it will be something that will cause your heart uh, to rejoice in. So with that said, I've titled tonight's lesson, The Mystery of Samson's Life. Or if I had to give a subtitle, I suppose I could title it, The Riddle of Samson's Life. Judges chapter 14, and Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath and behold, a young lion roared against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands, and went on eating, and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast. For so used the young men to do. And it came to pass when they saw him that they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. 
If you can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. But if ye cannot declare it me, then shall ye give me 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband, that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have ye called us to take that we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told it me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted, and it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my effort, ye had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. In our first main point, I want us to notice the puzzling riddle of Samson's life. The puzzling riddle of Samson's life. And by riddle, I'm not speaking of the riddle that he's proclaiming to others, but the riddle that he seems to be in Scripture. Here's a man who proclaims riddles to others when his actions appear to be a riddle to us. And the riddle that is presented to us stems from the question, why? Why does God choose to use this man, Samson? Why does Samson, who has been blessed by the Lord, make so many foolish choices? Why? And I suppose we can add to this question the question of how. How are we to make sense of Samson's life in the light of all that we know about God, in the light of all that we know about the Christian life? I mean, think about it. In Judges 13, we read that before Samson was ever born, God ordained him to be a spiritual deliverer to Israel. Judges 13 somewhat parallels the birth of Christ. God's people were living in a spiritually dark time. An angel of the Lord appears to Samson's mother, who was barren and without child. And at that time, the angel of the Lord promised Samson's mother a son who would deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And verse 24 of Judges 13 tells us that the woman, Samson's mother, bare a son and called his name Samson, 
and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. So God's favor was upon Samson before he was born. God's favor was upon Samson as he was growing to be a man before he would be the official deliverer of Israel. And then immediately, turning the corner from Judges 13 to Judges 14, immediately we are confronted with Samson wanting a wife from the daughters of the Philistines, which, by the way, was contrary to the law of Moses. It's contrary to God's law. God, through Moses, commanded that God's people should marry within their heritage, their people. And then reading the whole of chapter 14, we have this back and forth, up and down narrative of Samson's life. Samson wants a wife of the Philistines, which is really rooted in what he wants, in what pleases his eyes and his flesh, rather than what God's Word has commanded. Samson's parents awkwardly submit to Samson's desire as it is the purposes of God, not knowing that Samson was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And then we have this narrative of the Spirit of the Lord coming mightily upon Samson, Samson being played by the Philistines and by his wife while Samson is trying to play the Philistines, and then the Spirit of the Lord coming on Samson again to slay 30 men of the Philistines and Samson's wife being given over to one of his companions. This is just Judges 14. If you read the narrative of Samson's life in Judges 15 and Judges 16, you will find the same back and forth, up and down and all around narratives. Samson seeks to visit his wife, chapter 15. Being denied his wife, he burns the cornfields, vineyards, and olives of the Philistines. Samson slays a thousand of the Philistines with the jawbone of the donkey. You remember, God miraculously provides water out of that jawbone. Samson then becomes romantically involved with a harlot. He falls in love with Delilah. Delilah betrays Samson, which leads to the Philistines gouging out his eyes and making him a laughingstock to the Philistines, his enemies. Which then leads to the Lord answering Samson's prayer. Samson is communing with God in prayer. God answers Samson's prayer and strengthens him one last time to pull down the temple and destroy a great host of the Philistines. This is the puzzling riddle of Samson's life. And it causes us to scratch our heads and ask those questions, why and how? How are we to make sense of Samson being a man of faith. He is called a man of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Why would God choose to use someone like Samson? The Spirit of God comes on him at one moment, and then the next moment he's doing his own thing. God brings blessing in the life of Samson, and then Samson ends up falling and failing. So there's this back and forth and up and down. The question I'm submitting to us tonight is how do we answer this riddle 
How do we answer Samson, his life? Here's the answer. Here's the interpretive key. Here's the clarifying answer to the puzzling riddle of Samson's life. This is point number two, the clarifying answer. If you want to make sense of Samson's life, you must understand two truths about God. You must understand first that God is sovereign. And by that I mean that God does what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, where He wants, through whom He wants. And then the second thing we need to understand is that God is gracious. Do you have those two truths nailed to your mind? The story of Samson's life can only be interpreted properly through these two truths. The story of Samson's life is a story of God's prevailing sovereignty and God's undeserved grace. Think about it. Samson did not choose to be a judge. Samson didn't even choose to be born. Samson didn't choose who his parents were going to be. But God appointed him to be a judge before he was born. God worked the circumstances to be such so that Samson would grow up in a home that he would be nurtured in the things of God. Samson did not choose to have God-fearing parents. God appointed that before he was born. How gracious of God. Yet, despite such grace, despite such wonderful blessings and privileges, Samson disregarded God's standard for living and wanted to please himself by taking a wife from among the Philistines. And though he failed in this regard, as verse 6 of chapter 14 says, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him to display his great power to the Philistines. And then as Samson's wife becomes a traitor and Samson appears to be played, God ultimately allows Samson to defeat 30 men of the Philistines. So how are we to interpret Samson's life? Here it is, by remembering that God is absolutely sovereign. And at the same time, God is astoundingly gracious. Marry those two truths together. Think about it. Though Samson violated God's law, God overruled the circumstances of his life to accomplish his will. Despite the opposition of the Philistines and the foolishness of Samson, God still decided to work through Samson's life. God brought about great victories despite Samson's failings. You want to know the clarifying answer to the puzzling riddle of Samson's life? Here it is. God works through others, not because of them, but in spite of them. God was gracious to Samson, not because of Samson, but in spite of Samson. That's it. That's the answer. Now, taking this truth and applying it to our individual lives, let me make sure that all of us understand, listen, each and every one of us are just like Samson. 
Do you want to make sense of Samson's life? Then take a long, honest look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word. Truly, seriously. Riddle me this. Why does God choose to show mercy to any of us? Why does God choose us to be His servants? Was there some inherent goodness within ourselves that manipulated God to love us? Is there now some worthiness? Is there some excellence in us that influences God to owe us His approval? Listen, I know many a preacher, I know many a Bible commentator, I know many Christians who condemn Samson severely. I mean, they rake him across the coals. I've heard sermon after sermon of people calling Samson a spiritual scoundrel. He's a rebellious rogue. They paint him as a second-class Christian, a no-good Christian, when God, in Hebrews 11, describes him as a man of faith. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. We need to be oh so careful of thinking ourselves to be better than Samson. We need to put to death at once this pharisaical, self-righteous spirit that compares and boasts. Here's a helpful interpretive principle for you to keep in mind as you read the Bible. All right? This will help you. When you read of the failings of others in the Scripture, don't ask, how am I unlike them? Rather ask, how am I like them in their failings? Ask yourself, how am I like Abraham questioning God's purposes? Abraham questioned God's purpose regarding a son. How am I like Abraham in questioning the truth of God's word? How am I like Sarah laughing at God's promises? How am I like Jacob deceiving and trying to take advantage of others? How am I like Israel murmuring and complaining against the goodness and provisions of the Lord? How am I like Moses being impatient toward the murmurings of others? How am I like David giving way to thoughts of sexual lust? How am I like Peter speaking things out of turn? How am I like the sons of thunder wanting God to call down fire on our enemies rather than blessing? You see? And then ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself this. Why would God want to use me in His work when we fail Him so miserably? Do we not fail the Lord every day? In thought, in word, in deed. Committing sins of commission, sins of omission. Can you imagine, can you imagine for a moment, if we had the ability to take down the screen and hook a cable up into your mind and show the church family just what you've thought this last week? You see, before we blast Samson into pieces for the foolish decisions that he made, we need to consider our own hearts and our own ways. 
Now, I'm not justifying Samson's sin. God is not the author of sin. It was not God's will that he should lust after women. It's not God's will that Samson should act contrary to the written word of God. But I'm saying is this. All God has to work with in this life are sinners. Do you recognize that? All God has to work with are unclean vessels, imperfect people. That's all God has to work with. All God has to work with are messy people who are experts at straying from the good shepherd. All God has to work with, even among his own people, are slow learners, prayerless complainers, and unbelieving soldiers. And don't we see this in the lives of Jesus' disciples in the gospel accounts? So let's be honest. Every day we fail the Lord, and we fail Him over and over and over. We can say with Paul, right, the things we don't want to do, we do, and the things we know we should do, we don't do. So much time is wasted on earthly things. So much of our heart's affection is stolen away by trivial things. We miss opportunity after opportunity to serve the Lord, to be a witness for His name, We give lame excuses as to why we can't seek God first in His kingdom. And yet for some reason, for some reason, God is so gracious to forgive, restore, and bless us using us in His work. And think about this. Though some of us have come from broken homes, though we've made a mess of our life, Though some of us have gone through a divorce, or divorce is plural. Though some of us have been abused in various ways. Though some of us have wrestled with bitterness. Though some of us have wasted our lives by turning to the false gods of drugs and alcohol. God has been gracious. Do you see the two spiritual feet every Christian stands upon? We stand on the sovereignty of God... And the undeserved grace of God. That's it. God holds us up by His sovereign purposes and His marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. (laughs) Do you want to know what the story of the Bible is all about? God is sovereign. God is gracious prevailing over man's selfishness, man's stupidity, and man's sinfulness. There it is. Men are experts at making a mess of things, yet somehow, for some reason, God accomplishes His purposes through it all. The story of the Bible is God's cause shall prevail despite our flaws. God uses men not because they are good, but because He's good. That's it. And I would encourage you sometime to go back to Judges 13, read the whole account of Samson's life, and view his life through these two points. And as you read, don't ask yourself, why would God choose to use Samson? Ask yourself, how am I like Samson, and why would God choose to use me? As you read, notice that 
God doesn't give up on Samson. Though he falls, Samson gets up. God uses him. Samson perseveres, just like all true Christians do. He gets his eyes off the Lord. He puts them back on the Lord. He gets his eyes off the Lord. He puts them back on the Lord. God mightily uses Samson when his eyes are on him. God disciplines Samson when his eyes are off him. But even when he fails, God accomplishes his purposes. And this is the story of our life. The mystery of Samson's life is the mystery of our life. And the true mystery is, why does God love us? Why does God offer us His salvation? Why does God use us despite our failings? This is the mystery of all mysteries. And it can only be answered in the truths of God's sovereign purposes and God's wonderful grace. So in our consideration of God's grace and sovereignty in our lives, let me conclude with two final points of application. First, knowing that God is gracious, loving, merciful, patient, and kind towards us, it should lead us to a place of repentance. It should lead us to love Him more. Paul asked the Roman church in Romans 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because some were of the persuasion that because God is so gracious, then we can just live however we want. Paul answers his own question and says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So in other words, Paul is saying, knowing that we are beneficiaries of God's undeserved grace, this should lead us to love Him more. This should lead us to worship Him in spirit and in truth, not to live a life of sin and rebellion. So knowing that God is gracious, loving, merciful, patient, and kind towards us should lead us to repentance. It should lead us to a greater level of obedience in our life. And then second, knowing that God is gracious, loving, merciful, patient, and kind should lead us to be gracious, loving, merciful, patient, and kind towards others. Paul says, Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind. One to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You be kind and tender-hearted and patient and forgiving to others because God has demonstrated this to you through the gospel. So how often shall we forgive others? Jesus answered that question to Peter. Seventy times seven. An infinite amount. Uh, we, we forgive as much and to the same degree that God has forgiven us. So listen, don't write anyone off. God can take messy situations and work them for good. Isn't that the story of the Bible? Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good. And knowing this, this should cause us then to exercise faith and to pray to that end. In our prayer meeting tonight, what do we pray for? We pray for that which is impossible. We pray that God would take that which seems crooked 
and make it straight. Because he's the only one that can do that. And he's done it in our life if we've known Christ. So is there a family situation that seems messy? (laughs) Oh, not us. We have perfect families. Oh, come on. All of us have drama among our families. But we bring God into the midst. And if God can use people like this, God can do whatever He wants. Is there a coworker who seems spiritually hard and resistant to the gospel? Don't lose hope. Don't write them off. Keep praying. Don't give up. Pray that our sovereign God would accomplish His purposes through them. Pray that our sovereign God would show Himself gracious to others as He has been to us. Show Himself gracious as He has shown Himself gracious to others. That's the answer to Samson's life. How do we interpret anything? In the scripture, we interpret it through God's sovereignty and God's wonderful grace. That's the pillow that we rest our weary hearts upon, is it not? God's sovereign, God is gracious. How and why? We don't know. Explain God's sovereignty to me. You can't. If you could, God would not be God. And explain why God would show grace to sinful, evil men. Can't answer that either, but God's word says it's true, so we delight in it. We delight in it.